Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I am here with my co-host. I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, and no koozie gonna leave me at no church decorating up a whole town at a cost of $40, right? I can see her now running back up that aisle. No, she was dancing back up the aisle. Her knockers bouncing all over the joint. Let go of that wheel. Why her ass was wiggling too. My God. <laughs> the best part of that is that Jason is reading that speech off it's of his long, cell phone. It's a long one. Yes, How long have is. you been waiting for that? <laughs> I just, I just love, I just love Buford T. Justice, guys. So. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. <laughs> so we we have arrived here at the 10th season of Awesome Movie Year. And to celebrate 10 seasons we decided we would take a look back at all of the awesome movie years that we have covered in the past and pick out one movie from each year related to one of our usual categories that we didn't talk about, but that we were really interested in covering. Uh, and so we are here to start with in the box office champion episode, as we usually do for the season. We're looking at 1977. Uh, in the actual 1977 season, we, of course, talked about Star Wars, which is, I mean, the box office champion of, of that year and many, many other years. But number two at the box office was, as you may or may not have guessed from Jason's little speech there, Smokey and the Bandit. Yeah, eastbound and down. And really, I would say throughout our entire process of covering 1977 and recording our season on 1977... Jason was talking about Smokey and the Bandit. I actually had never seen it until we were starting to research 77. And then I watched it and I punched myself in the face. I said, Jason, why have you never watched this? And then I said to myself, oh, no, here comes another one. <laughs> There's no way, no way that you came from my loins. Soon as I get home, first thing I'm going to do is punch your mama in the mouth. Yeah, so uh, Jason there is he's doing actually a pretty good impression of Jackie Gleason as Sheriff Buford T. Justice, the uh, Texas, uh, Texas, yeah. Yeah, he's yeah, a Texas, Texas lawman. Texas lawman yeah. who uh, chases the bandit, played by Burt Reynolds, uh, across many state lines because not, weirdly, because Bandit and his partner, the snowman, played by Jerry Reed, are breaking the law that they believe they're breaking, which is they are transporting Coors beer across state lines, which was at the time illegal. But instead, because they are harboring the young woman uh, known as Frog, or Carrie, played by Sally Field, who has jilted poor Buford T. Justice's idiot son, Junior, <laughs> at the altar. And Buford has decided he needs to get justice for Junior by pursuing this lady uh, at all. Yeah. Costs. And that makes sense because he's a lawman. So he's not going to break the law by going out of his jurisdiction just to get her. Uh, I mean, just to chase a man who is a bootlegging. He knows it's not in his jurisdiction, but now that it's personal and he's got to get frog, you know, that's why he's doing it. Josh. I like that. You said something about this movie makes sense <laughs> because that is an inaccurate statement, really, regardless of what you're referring to. But this movie was a huge hit. And, uh, you know, it was it was not a movie that people thought would necessarily be a hit. Burt Reynolds certainly was a huge star at this point. But uh, the director, Hal Needham, who was a good friend of Burt Reynolds and a stuntman, this was his directorial debut. 
And he was, you know, so he was not a proven filmmaker. And uh, this concept wasn't necessarily uh, a home run. He was able to get a $4.3 million budget for this film, which was down from the budget that they had initially given him. Um, but the movie went on to gross $126 million and become the second highest grossing movie of 1977 behind Star Wars. It was also nominated for an Oscar for Best Editing. Yeah. Um, and the theme song Eastbound and Down spent 16 weeks on the country charts, uh, sung by Jerry Reed, who plays the snowman. Uh, and it peaked at number two on the charts. And and just this this movie became a cultural sensation almost on par with Star Wars. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I don't know where, where to start because you mentioned so many wonderful things, Josh. Well, just just go for it. He's Found It Down is such a great song. It I, is a good song. I, I love that song. And it fits the movie perfectly, right? The tone, the style. Uh, Jerry Reed, that outlaw country style. Like, what a good song, huh, Dave? That's my favorite part of the movie. Yeah. And well, and I love not only that, which was the big hit, but there are two other songs. Yeah. That, like, I do. It's It's ridiculous, but funny that like throughout this movie, it's almost like a musical. Like every so often, Jerry Reed just like, hey, here's what the band is doing now in a song. <laughs> and it's, it's ridiculous, but entertaining. It's accurate and it elevates it. And I like that, you know, we've talked about utilizing a song throughout, like they use this. Like it, in a way, it's funny because the movie I most compare it to is nothing like this movie, but the my enjoyment of it and the things I enjoy about it is Slapshot, which we covered from 77 and they use kind of the same songs and it's that bonding and that kind of, you know, action, uh, fun comedy that just is all there. I just love, I just love this thing. Yeah. And weirdly, as I was watching this, I also was thinking of Slapshot, which was a movie that when we talked about it, that you really enjoyed and I didn't enjoy so much. And I think for similar reasons, and this, these are both the kind of movie that I don't typically really like. These, these kind of dumb, broad comedies. Whoa. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, you know, you... So you, you think Slapshot's a dumb, broad comedy? Is it not? It's very vulgar, let's say. Vulgar maybe Maybe, maybe yeah. Slapshot is less dumb than Smokey and the Bandit. It's still broad, though. But it is broad, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're, you're dumb. <laughs> you're the dumb one. But you're I agree with dumb. you about the songs. And I, I actually thought you were going to reference The Graduate, another movie that we've uh, talked about on this podcast, which uses uh, a set of the same songs just, over and over yeah, again. Yeah, I love all that stuff, you know, when we see that in movies. But yeah, no. Um, Josh, what is your problem with just people wanting to have a good time at a film? I have no problem with, with people wanting to have a good time at a film. I personally don't necessarily have the same criteria for what constitutes a good time i guess this is a yeehaw good old time that is an accurate statement <laughs> that is correct <laughs> so this movie was very popular obviously as we've established critics less into it and uh and i think, shockingly i think as we've talked about you know this is another one of these movies where i feel like it, it, critics who who did like it or want to give it some credit do it sort of begrudgingly Ron Pennington in The Hollywood Reporter said, one of the last American frontiers is the open road, and the men who drive the 18-wheelers across these paved wildernesses are the ones who will provide our modern legends, according to Jerry Reed's main credit song for Smokey and the Bandit. And like most legends, the film is based almost solely on daring-do feats with little concern with substance and or reality. It's a merry chase caper storyline in which action is substituted for character or plot development. 
While the joke wears thin very quickly, there are a number of amusing sequences which are combined with some exciting road action to provide a mildly entertaining and totally mindless film. Hal Needham, making his directorial debut after an illustrious career as a stuntman, makes the most of the action and progresses the film with a perfect lighthearted touch. So I, I feel like that mild praise is about the, the height of what I can say positive about this film. Well, then you are wrong, Josh. Yeah. Uh, but that's okay. We'll get into that. Um, <laughs> we'll get into how wrong I yeah, am Yeah, we'll, we'll eviscerate you as we go, Josh. But no, um, no, there's the, the things to be said there is like the 70s, there were all these pictures, truck, uh, you know, White Lightning with Burt Reynolds, Tulane Blacktop, I think, was in. Tulane Blacktop is a lot more like sparse and contempl contemplative than this film. Duel, Steven Spielberg, right? right? Yeah. Are you going to? Uh, I haven't know. seen Duel, actually. Okay. So there, trucking was a huge, there was a, um, there was a real place for it in America at that time. And they were always related to that kind of cowboys of the West, you know, like people who will just take to the road and amble and go wherever they have to go. And so there was that aspect of it. And, you know, the idea of the car chase as the entire movie, they did it. They did do it. And then Hal Needham did it like a bunch more times. Yeah, but we're not covering those bunch more times. No, no, we're not. Um, I think the other movie related to the, the sort of trucking trend um, that you're talking about there that I, I saw mentioned, I think, in, in at least one review was Sam Peckinpah's Convoy, um, which I have not seen, but also I think was a little right before this film and was a, a, a pretty popular that also had a country theme. We song. got a great big convoy. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Um, that was another one. So uh, Gene Siskel amusingly has some really, I feel like, sort of unnecessary nitpicks about this film. Um, Gene Siskel in the Chicago Tribune said, the script predictably is short on logic. We never see the clock start on Reynolds' run for the suds. And Reynolds is never made aware that Field was engaged to Gleason's son. But logic doesn't seem to apply to car crash movies. The energy of a contemporary road race appears to be as inexhaustible as the energy of a horse race in the Old West. What's fun about Smokey and the Bandit is to watch the audience peel out of the parking lot after the film is over. But he's wrong on both of his nitpicks, you know? Yeah. Because we, while we don't have like a actual picture of a clock, multiple times Bandit and Snowman check in with each other. We're a hour ahead. We're losing time, you know? We always know how close they are. Yeah, that seems weird that he wanted just like one particular scene where, you know, Big and Little Enos or whatever, are like, yeah. okay, now go. Right, ex exactly. <laughs> right, the two of them are like, well, that bandit only has 17 hours and 34 minutes left. You know? Right, right. Um, and Sally Field, yes, she doesn't explicitly say it, but the first time we meet her, She's in a bridal gown, and she says there was a wedding that wanted me that I didn't want to be a part of. Well, right. I think he knows she's a runaway bride, but it did strike me as, as weird that he doesn't, I, I, as far as I can tell, ever realize that the man that she ran away from is the son of Euphorty Justice. Why would he, given, given what you saw in the movie, what would lead him to realize? No, that? no, no, nothing would. And I think, I, 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 again, I think that, I think that Siskel is right here in saying that Bandit never knows that, but I think he's wrong in saying that that's a problem yeah, because part of what's amusing is that Bandit thinks 
he's being chased because of the bootlegging. Right, you're and right. And he's not. And, and in a weird way, that's sort of a commentary on how full of himself Bandit is because he just assumes, well, the guy's got to be after me because I'm the Bandit, and, but it's not. And Burt Reynolds, I watched the documentary The Bandit, which is about Hal Needham and Burt Reynolds and their relationship, which is a totally insane relationship because um, Hal Needham was Burt Reynolds' stuntman, right? His stunt double for a lot of these things. And Hal Needham, they all said, like, Hal Needham wanted to be Burt Reynolds. But then they'd all say, but Burt Reynolds wanted to be Hal Needham. Like, he wanted to do his own stunts and everything. And then uh, Hal Needham's marriage broke up, and Burt Reynolds was like, come stay with me. And they were like, well, maybe stay a few days. He lived with him for 11 years, Josh. Wow. And, and like you said, they made a bunch of movies together. They were like, uh, I, I, there was even a quote where, like, Burt Reynolds was like, I always told Hal if he was a woman, we would have had one heck of a marriage. You know? so, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think the one one of the things that you can say for this movie is that you can tell that they're all having a good time. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of love there, right? Yes, yes, that is certainly true. Um, so Ruth Batchelor in the Los Angeles Free Press, uh, also kind of amused by liking it. She said, the movie is corny trash. Bert, thank God, except for one scene, never takes off his cowboy hat and acts like Bert. To think that Sally came off of Sybil to do this is mind-blowing, but she's always excellent. Jerry Reed is endearing, as is his dog, and Gleason is funny as hell. It's a silly movie, but somehow you can't keep from smiling all the way through it. And there are plenty of laughs as well. The film is a big plug for cores, should sell many more Trans Ams, and Oscars should be handed out to the stuntmen. There are five writers listed on the credits, but methinks Bert and Sally had a big hand in ad-libbing their dialogue. Hal Needham's direction was well-paced and deft, and I came out wanting to get a CB. So, and of course, she's right about the improv. Thing. About everything. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, the Trans Am doubled in sales like within two years, right? If we go back to the, yeah, the improv, not just those two, Jackie Gleason, I think, improvised his entire, his entire part, which is pretty amazing because like, uh, whatever you think of it, Josh, like, that's one of the most quotable characters ever on film, right? So to to improvise the entire dialogue is pretty cool, I think. By the way, to go back to that review, uh, stunt people should be getting Oscars. We I agree. agree. Yeah. yeah, she she's she's ahead of her time yeah. in calling for yeah. that. Yeah, she kind of got it all right. The chorus yeah. thing's interesting because I'm not exactly sure what the I was reading some of it right. Um, so there were no additives or preservatives, right? So it had like a shelf life of only a week, you know. So that was where the bootlegging came from because you had to get it from place to place quickly and everything. But I don't know why they made it illegal to bring it from one part. Well, I think what it is, and this still exists not for cores, but uh, for for example, my, my uncle, Larry Bell, owner of mm. Bell's Beer. Indeed. Um, you know, for smaller breweries like that, you have to get licensed individually in like each state. Mm. So that technically it is not legal to sell certain beers like that in states where the state itself has not licensed it. So I think that's the idea is that Coors, which at the time was a smaller brand, you know, now we think of it as one of the biggest brands of beer that there is. Partially, thankfully, to this movie. Right, of course. But at the time, it was more of a niche thing. And so, you know, it was only licensed to be sold in these certain states. And so because it's alcohol, it is actually, I think, illegal to sell it where it's not specifically licensed. Baseball Hall of Famer Carl Yastrzemski from the Red Sox when they would go out to the West Coast would smuggle cores back in his equipment bags. And the best one I had read about it was Dwight D. Eisenhower had Air Force One bring cores to him in Washington, D.C. Now that's a president. 
Yes. I like Ike. Yeah. <laughs> if only the bandit were our president. <laughs> um, so Jason, I mean, we've, we've, we've kind of talked about your history with this. Yeah. I had never seen it until like a year ago. And then I fell in love with it immediately. And like, I'm not going to give it five stars. It's not a five star movie, but if you were like, you want to watch it today, I'd be like, yeah. And I just watched it three days ago. Like I, I just love it. It's just so much fun to watch. And, um, I think, you know, this is the best, this is Burt Reynolds. This is quintessential Burt Reynolds, right? You know, and he, and he moved on to do some more serious stuff later in his career, whatever. Um, but this is like movie star Burt Reynolds when he was the biggest star in the world. And Jackie Gleason is just like, he eats every scene, but he eats it so deliciously. Like he, he owns the screen in those scenes, you know, I think, and I I could see your face, not a fan (laughs) of it, but like, he just, he's, he's an amazing, like he goes all in on Buford T justice. He does definitely go all in on that. And, 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 you know, I suppose I appreciate that. Like, obviously he'd had this amazing decades long career at this point. He doesn't need to go all in on some on dumb anything. car crash movie. Yeah. Right. But he does. Um, and certainly you're right. Like to me, the charisma of Burt Reynolds and also Sally Field. Well, they fell in love while making it, right? right. The two of them together are great. And I, I don't want to interrupt. I apologize. Yeah. But Jerry Reed also as the snowman is such a likable character with Fred the dog. Go on. Yeah, no, he is. But I, I to me, the charisma of those two, their, their chemistry together, but also their individual, like, you know, these are like, these are movie star actors. Yeah. You know, that is, is what carried it for me when I was able to enjoy it. Uh, yeah, Jackie Gleason, I, I could not stand in this film. Um, yeah, he's great. One of these reviews, I don't know if it was one that I quoted or another one that I read compared him to Zero Mostel. <laughs> um, and, you know, we talked about the producers uh, when, and how much I dislike Zero Mostel in that film. And, and I think that's a, that's a fair comparison. I don't think it's a fair comparison. I want to take on two points, Josh. That, that last review you read, they mentioned Sybil, which was like a limited series or a mini series that... Sally Field had just won an Emmy for, and um, her her reps were like, "You just need a big movie star movie," and this was the one that came, and she definitely made the most of it. And like you said, they improvised a ton of dialogue together, but those like sparks were there between the two. Now the thing is, Josh, like, have you ever met anyone from Texas? I mean, yeah, I yes. No, I'm not saying like, oh, everyone from Texas is, you know, everything's bigger in Texas, but. A lawman. There's definitely like outsized personalities uh, a lot, you know, in Texas, in the South. And I think Gleason just like that's where he went with it. And I just like I'm just one of those people who love it. Right. Well, and obviously many, many people are with you on loving it. Um, yeah. You know, even if if critics were were uh, unsure about this film, uh, it, it critics, the studio, you know, right. like no one was really sure. Even Burt Reynolds was like, I'm going to make this movie. But you know, who? no one knew if Hal Needham could pull it off. Right. But audiences loved it and, and people continue to love it. I mean, it's it's still it's it certainly still has quite a, uh, a fan following. So, you know, you're in good company there. But um, I, I think even if you're right that there are people like this and, and Buford T. Justice was, I think, partially inspired by someone that Hal Needham actually knew. Burt Reynolds' father. OK, there yeah, you go. Who was, was a uh, Florida like police chief there you go so that guy maybe was similar in some ways but that doesn't necessarily mean that it works as a movie character but it clearly does work as a movie character because not only is this character very popular like literally 
the third one of these is based all on him, which well, I'm not I, defending the in, third in one. In part, I think because the, the Burt Reynolds did not want to be in it, but... Yeah, um, and he was barely in the... But Hal Needham, I don't even know, was he, was he in the third one? Did he direct the third one? No, not the third yeah. one, yeah. So, I mean, that was definitely like sort of a running on fumes there to use another uh, car metaphor. Josh, I got to defend Buford T. Justice against you in one other way. Yeah. Nobody, oh. and I mean nobody, Make sure Buford T. Justice look like a possum's pecker. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I'm having fun in this episode. Yeah, you yeah, are. yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, cl- you clearly are. So, and um, you summer bitches couldn't close an umbrella. I, uh, I of course, had not seen this film. Um, I think I, I was only aware of this movie via, like, pop culture references and stuff like that. I was trying to remember there's a weird random reference to this in, in a Bill and Ted movie that I was looking up before. Uh, which is not a reference actually to this, but in fact to the Smokey and the Bandit 3 that you just referenced. And there's some weird trivia contest when they meet uh, the aliens station in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. And uh, Death is uh, trying to guess some like charade that they're doing. And um, the answer is Smokey and the Bandit 3. Smokey is the bandit. That's which funny. Was, yeah, the uh, initial title. So like that, that weird line was in my head and I had to look it up. Um, but, so I, I had not seen this, but before. like you said, like pop culturally, this is everywhere. It is. It is. So Dave, had you seen it? I don't think I had. And yeah, like you said, pop culturally, it was just all over the place. So I felt like I had, but yeah, I'm pretty sure this is my first time. This seems like a movie that your dad would like. I would imagine so. I, I, I would imagine every single human being at that time loved it. So this know. is Richie, rich, rich from Rick's racks, rich records on Decatur Boulevard. We have all the records you want. Go see Smokey and a Bandit. That is Jason's uh, <laughs> equally um, universal impression of Rich Rosen. You see the pink house on Decatur Boulevard. You're like, why is that house pink? Because it's a record store. What if Rich Rosen and Buford T. Justice teamed up? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, we don't. No, we don't, we don't need that. We don't, we don't need, need that. that. I agree. But yeah. the joke is that you made that, that premise, Josh. Yes, thank you. So uh, anything else on the background of this film you want to mention? Yeah, well, you had said, okay, so first Needham, uh, uh, they had written it as like a $1 million movie and, you know, was Jerry Reed going to be the bandit, whatever. And then Reynolds signed on, you know, passing up other big projects because he is in love with Hal Needham platonically, which is awesome. It was a $5.3 million budget. um, And then they like cut the budget by a million dollars two days before the picture started shooting the picture and um you know and reynolds salary was a million so really it's 3.3 million right so hal needham and his i think ad like worked for 30 hours straight to fix the shooting schedule really horrible thing to do to them like they kneecapped them and they still came out like uh you know with this the greatest movie that's ever made (laughs) no but i i just um i think those are the the kind of big big background things josh yeah All right. Well, we'll come back then in a moment and talk about our general thoughts on Smokey and the Bandit. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this uh, debut episode of our special retrospective season, we're talking about 1977's Smokey and the Bandit, Jason's favorite movie of all time. Yeah, and I'm glad we're back, Josh, because we got a long way to go and a short time to get there. Uh, is that another line? Eastbound oh, down. It's from the song. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So, I mean, I feel like we've we've gone a lot through, but what you know, what do what do you love about this? Yeah. Okay. So here it is. It's it's just super fun the whole way through. 
you, like you said, everyone's having fun. There's a lot of snappy dialogue, uh, some of which has no place in in today's world. But like, you know, this is like if you watch like one of those old Tonight Shows or roasts and you're like, man, these guys were all having fun. They're, and they're really enjoying being racist. <laughs> were they? Well, I mean, Buford T. Justice, Justice is racist, yes, but no yes. one. But the other guys weren't. racist. No, no, that's fair. That's and true. he's the bad guy in the movie. So, if, you yeah, know, he's mm. the bad guy. But as you have kind of pointed out. He's the like lovable yeah. bad guy. And I don't love the racism. Buford Thank you, Jason. Justice, yes. So, but I mean, you know, um, yeah, there's a lot of like, uh, you know, good old boy sexist overtones too, right? Like, you know, the women are named like Little Beaver and Hot Pants. But Sally Field is a formidable character. She not only is a love interest, she contributes to everything that they do along the way. Um, I think the, the chases were always interesting to me. The obstacles were always cool. Like the, you know, the whole movie is a set piece. So, um, and I think they always kept it uh, fun and like going like this, the fact that they were able to make this work as well as it did over an hour and a half is like, like, you know, it should have been eight minutes or something like that. <laughs> it should have been. Eight no, minutes. but it worked. But that's what I'm saying. Like I, the whole thing works for me for an hour and a half and it, and at least like 55 or so minutes or them in cars and trucks. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I didn't necessarily, I didn't hate this movie. I didn't even necessarily dislike it. Um, I think a lot of the stuff that you mentioned does work. Obviously Hal Needham with his stunt experience knows how to stage car chases and there's some great car chase action. I did feel like at a certain point it was just the same thing over and over again. And maybe it didn't need to be eight minutes, but maybe it didn't need to be 90 minutes um, because there is almost no story to this film. Um, you know, you, you have the brief setup that establishes the reason that they need to be kind of racing to get somewhere. And then Sally Field that establishes the reason that Buford T. Justice is chasing them. And that's all we got. Right. I get it, Josh. You are saying it's the before sunrise of car picks. I get it right there. It's the same, same thing. Just one night we got to do what we got to do and let's get to it here. Yeah. Um, no, but you know what, Josh? Um, I... I feel like all that dialogue did sound real to me. And maybe it's because it was improvised, you know, but like we're not from the South, but it no. sounded like real, you know, kind of uh, good old boy dialect stuff. And I really enjoyed that. And I think in places where you're like, well, is there a plot? Like I could just get into watching them and enjoying the performances and enjoying the interactions. And um yeah, that that's what did it for me, the whole thing. And I, I do think like, you know, we mentioned Burt Reynolds. We mentioned all of them, but Jerry Reed is kind of the unsung hero of this thing. Like he is, you know, really holding the whole piece together and all that stuff over the CB where he's the way he's talking and like just kind of even the CB language is really fun for me. Yeah, I mean, that is fun. And I, I think I, I think like I keep saying, the core of the movie for me was Burt Reynolds and Sally Field if they improvised all that dialogue, they did a great job of it. It's, it's funny. It's natural. You can see their chemistry and individually, again, they're at the absolute height of movie star charisma. They're both incredibly good looking. They're just fun to watch. And you know, you, you want to spend time with these characters, just getting to know each other and bantering and all of their silliness. Every time the movie cut away to Buford T. Justice, it just died for me. Yeah, totally disagree with that. I mean, you know, first of all, when they cut away from him uh, half the time, he's talking to the bandit, you know. And secondly, um, as my 
impresario style impressions right there. My uh, my strong Buford T. Justice impressions imply like so much of what he said has become so quotable throughout the years that like people just love it. And I'm one of those people. Right. No, people do love it. And I am not one of those people. And, you know, to me, that was when I was like, oh, God. Um, and, and, and it contributes to the sense of, you know, this movie is like a Bugs Bunny cartoon, really. Yeah. And, and Buford T. Justice is essentially Elmer Fudd or he's Wiley Coyote. Uh, or Yosemite Sam, you know, in terms of how he sounds, yeah. and 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 Burt Reynolds is Bugs Bunny, um, and that's fine. But there's a reason that most Bugs Bunny cartoons are not 90 minutes long, unless they're Space Jam, which we've talked about. Uh, sadly. Right, but the original Space Jam was a huge hit. It was a huge hit. It was a huge hit. But yeah, I mean, even some of the music in this movie is so like Looney Tunes ish. I love the music, and I, and obviously the music was a huge success. And Needham, when he turned the movie into the studio, they replaced all the music with like classical score sounding stuff. And he was like, no, you don't get it. Right. And the movie opened in Radio City Music Hall and it tanked there and the, re the reviews were bad. And he's like, no, you don't get it. Open it in the South. And that's where it kind of took off and became a huge hit. Right. Yeah. And Burt Reynolds and Hal Needham in a way, Burt Reynolds, like, doesn't really get the credit he deserves. Uh, not He was a huge star, but he basically made Georgia a film industry, right? Like now we think of Tyler Perry there and all the work he's doing. Not a lot of movies were being shot in Georgia at the time. Like he was the Southern film industry at that time. And he and Needham reteamed and did a lot of stuff there that like lives on, um, you know, today that people still really, really appreciate. Yeah. I mean, and you can absolutely see how this movie would have not played in New York or, you know, with the big city critics that I quoted, um, that it did very well in the South. And I feel like, you know, the seventies, there were a lot of these sort of Southern regional hits. I think of like the walking tall movies and, uh, Billy Jack and stuff like that, that have become, you know, kind of cult favorites, not, not to the degree that, that smoking the bandit became a huge success, but that were regionally very, very popular that maybe people outside of the South didn't understand the appeal of. And that's so strange to me because one of the things I love about a movie like this is seeing something from another place um, with all these different elements that um, are not in my everyday life. And just like learning about it, seeing the scenery, hearing the way they talk to each other, like that's all stuff that like I dig into in movies like this. And that could be something from the South, something from another country, a Canadian movie, you know, like there's all types of stuff like that. Right. I mean, I do appreciate that, that this movie clearly has an understanding of its location and the location is important. And, you know, it's, it's not just, it's not condescending about look at these Hicks or something like that. I mean, even Buford T. Justice, who is like the, the quintessential, you know, Hick lawman or whatever. I mean, he's ridiculous and I find him annoying, but the movie is, is, friendly toward him in a way, you know, is, is indulgent toward him. I also like the, um, like I was talking about the CB terminology, like when he says, you know, he calls the one truck and he's like, can I get up in the rocking chair? Like, I don't know if that's a real thing, like, but the, I, but they made it a real maneuver in this thing. And like, I love the idea that the, the, just the idea that like, Hey, we're going to truck, we're going to bootleg all this course through a, a, through, you know, state lines. So we need a blocker to keep the heat off the truck. Like 
I think that must have been a real thing back at some point in time, right? Yeah, well, I mean, as you pointed out, the idea of smuggling cores out of the states where it was sold was certainly a right. thing. Whether this kind of ridiculous race ever occurred, I don't know. I don't mean a race. I mean, the whole point of the bandit is as a blocker is to keep all the attention off of the truck with right. the bootlegging, you know, with uh, with the beer and keep the attention on him. Yeah, yeah. And that may be very well something that that would have happened. Um, and I don't know CB terminology, obviously. <laughs> um, but that was another part of this movie is that the CB radio craze was huge at this moment. And this Got made it bigger, huger. Yeah. yeah. Give me a Diablo sandwich and Dr. Pepper and make it fast. I'm in a goddamn hurry. Thank you. So, Diablo sandwich. Yeah. Amazing. We, yeah. We don't even know. What even is that? I looked it up because, I, 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 you know, I write about food. There you and go. Like, yeah. Do we know. have any Diablo sandwiches in Las Vegas? No. Restaurants? Someone should do it. Someone should do it. The thing about a Diablo sandwich, Josh, is it can be so many things. <laughs> so, And there's arguments over what it could be. It looked like a sloppy joe to me in the movie. Now, that's one thing, but it would be a sloppy joe with corn and sour cream. Ooh. But Diablo makes it sound like it would have heat to it. So I don't True. understand why that, like, none of that sounds like heat. There is, what I think it is, is this, pulled pork and hot sauce on a hamburger bun. Yeah. That sounds like uh, of the area yes. and also of the name Diablo. There's also a thing where if you use Louisiana hot sauce, Texas toast, and, and hot Pittsburgh hot links, which I don't know what Pittsburgh hot links are, but like, but that that's not what this looked like. Yeah, but, no, it definitely looked like that, like a pulled pork kind of thing, from what you can see. Now that whole that whole scene at the choking puke, which wonderful, just yeah. wonderful. Yeah, um, that was all Gleason's idea. There was no real scene written between the two of them, and he thought that there should be. And then what I had seen, like, it's so weird because in that documentary, they're like, oh, yeah, um, Bert wanted Gleason because he knew what he would bring to it from a comedic standpoint. But then after that scene, he said he wouldn't act with him <laughs> anymore because I think, you know, yeah, he owns he, everything. Right. I mean, Burt Reynolds, uh, you know, he's likable and charismatic in this film, but he was a huge egomaniac and never wanted to be upstaged by anyone. Yeah. And Gleason obviously had a sizable ego along with his size 64 waist at the time. Yes. So. Yes. indeed. But, but Josh, you know, yeah, Burt Reynolds <laughs> was the biggest star in the world at the time, had a huge ego developed a reputation as being difficult, right? Gleason, I think we got to look back at like what an amazing career he had. And that could be in the legacy section, but he was basically on television every, every year from the fifties on. And like a lot of the stuff that he did, whether it was the honeymooners or the Jackie Gleason show was stuff he developed on his own and he curated and he produced. So he had a real ownership in what he did. And we're talking about him in comedy, but like, you know, I mean, his theatrical work, uh, obviously the hustler, like sure. he, he's an absolute legend. Yeah. And I mean, he is not only is he a TV star, but he is possibly the first ever TV star. Right. And an icon, you know, what's so interesting is like, he's an icon for like blue collar workers, blue collar people. There's a statue of Ralph Cramden outside the port authority. Right. And this is the most blue collar movie that there could be, but it's in a completely, it's not Brooklyn. It's obviously the South. So I think that, love of the blue collar Jackie Gleason type character plays into part of the love of Buford T. Justice. Yeah, I mean, certainly people, especially in 1977, I mean, now people might not be as familiar with Jackie Gleason, but certainly at that time would have come in with all their knowledge of him and other stuff that he's done. Right. And I think that's the point I wanted to get to. It's like even you and I 
can't understand what a big star he must have been at that time. Yes, yes. But I think that, and I think that also goes to why Burt Reynolds would be insecure about it because he was a big star. And for Burt Reynolds, the most important thing was that Burt Reynolds was the biggest star. Right, right. Dave, we have not heard from you yet. I liked this, uh, not as much as you did, Jason, but I feel like much like one of my favorites that we've talked about here on the show, The Room. Now, this isn't a bad Ooh. movie like The Room, but I think it would have been way more fun with friends and some beers. Yeah, that's fine. That's yeah. Fair, so. yeah. And and I'm sure a big part of the success of it in 1977 was people going to see it in that in yeah. that context. I know. I think you're right. You know, this this has that like hooting and hollering, like cheering for the bandit as he gets away each time. Of, yeah. yeah. You know, over the bridge and, you know, kind of when uh, Buford T. Justice's car, the top gets lopped off uh, <laughs> under the, the semi-truck and everything and all, all those things. Every time like an old lady says, you know, bandit, this is uh, whatever her CB I handle remember is. her handle, yeah. Right? Don't come this way. And then like they do like the quick turnout and go the other way. Like, um, I, I, you know, and the one thing is like, this is a highway movie, but you also see a lot of that awesome back road stuff to me. Right, right. I mean, and this is a time when, I mean, there were plenty of highways, but I think even in 1977, there weren't as many highways as we have now. And to travel from state to state, you would still have to take some of those back roads. Yeah. Josh, you had mentioned that like there's no real plot development, but what it does gain is momentum. And you see that through the CB and through all these other, not just truckers, but all these people with CBs going and helping you know, the bandit all the way. This is the grave digger. And this is, you know, so-and-so. Right, right. right. Um, just really, and they were all there to help them. And I thought that was uh, really that momentum carried through to me as an audience member. Yeah, I mean, it has momentum in that, like, the characters are literally almost always moving forward. I mean, other than that scene that you mentioned in the choke and puke where they stop to get the Diablo sandwich and uh, Bandit and Buford T. Justice have their interaction and and Frog is going to maybe leave, leave right, and yeah. go on a bus to New York or whatever. Other than that, like they don't really stop until the very end of the movie. Right. Uh, and, and even, and as even the movie, then, they don't really stop. Right, exactly. They arrive and they drop off their beer and then immediately they get back in another car to leave. Yeah, the first 10 minutes, they're not really driving. And then it's like, drive, 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 yes. drive. Eat a Diablo sandwich. Drive, 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 <laughs> drive, 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 Crash into something. Drive, 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 drive. The Enos is, uh, Paul Williams, we should mention, he was a huge star as a singer. And yeah. I hear his little Enos. That's kind of a fun relationship. It's, it's two, you know, they're just little side characters, yeah. but the contrast between the two of them, Paul Williams is very short and uh, the other, I don't remember who the other actor is, Yeah, but he's very tall and, you know, they're wearing the same suits and it, it is just kind of silly and their background, you know, they show up at the beginning and at the very end and that's it. Yeah. And they're, they're amusing. Enough. Pat yeah. McCormick was the other actor. There you go. Pat McCormick. Um, the costuming is fantastic on everyone, real Southern and Western wear. And I, I love that stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's, um, you know, the one thing we were talking about uh, in our Love Actually episode is like Richard Curtis didn't pull any punches. He gave you exactly what he said he was going to give you. This is that. Like Hal Needham's not trying to do anything here except make you eat popcorn and drink beer and soda and have the best time that you can. Yeah, I mean, this certainly isn't a movie that is like uh, pretending to be something that it isn't, um, you know? And I mean, I think there's a, like maybe moments when it's a little too pleased with how it is its thing. I mean, there's one moment here early in the movie when Bandit has evaded uh, a cop and he literally turns to the camera and smiles at the audience. Yeah. And that was a little much to me. Uh, that's fair. I'll give you that. 
one criticism. All right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, uh, do we want to rate this out of uh, five uh, cases of cores? Sure. Um, you know, I give it three and a half because that's also what I gave Slapshot. But it's three and a half is almost like a magic golden number to me because those are movies that I know are not like, you know, the most pristine, perfectly made films, but they're just beautifully fun to watch. I'm surprised you didn't rate that higher. It might be four. I think three and a half is like, but like, I'm telling you, it's like a beloved three and a half, All Josh. Right. All right. Because I'll give this three stars because I did find a lot of it entertaining. I kind of was on the fence between two and a half and three, but it's 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 fun enough and it's short enough that it was fun. I wouldn't want to watch it again. I wouldn't want to watch uh, similar movies necessarily, but I didn't mind this, and that's about the best I could say. Three stars. We're going to do what they say can't be done. There you go. Dave, how would you rate this? Also giving it three stars. And I, I think it is like uh, for this kind of specific movie, it's probably one of the best, if not the best of this you know this yeah i mean i mean look the the thing that i like uh is and you know i mean i'm not against any of your criticism but i think you both see why it's so beloved yeah i i guess i think i do um and and i don't necessarily feel that way again it's like the kind of thing that i just there's a there's a low bar like there's a low ceiling for how much I could enjoy a movie like this. And I think like if I'm sad or not having a good day, I could throw this on, I could throw Slapshot on, and it will always make me feel yeah. better. And I think a lot of people probably feel that way as well. So we'll come back and talk about the legacy of Smokey and the Bandit. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this first episode of our special retrospective season, we're looking back at 1977 and talking about box office champion Smokey and the Bandit. And this movie has a huge pop culture legacy. Um, I mean, we, we mentioned a bit about things that have popularized or helped to further popularize, including CB radios and Coors Beer and Trans Am. Yes. All mustaches, mustaches, <laughs> cowboy hats, maybe all things that are completely alien to my experience. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if we made Josh a, you know, like a Smokey and the Bandit type trucker just for, <laughs> even though the Bandit wasn't a trucker, but well, the Bandit was a trucker. He just is driving right, a car right. in this movie. And as the pursuer, may I just say, you're the goddamnedest pursuer I ever pursued. Where are you, soma bitch? <laughs> yeah. Did you ever use a Some CB bitch. radio, Jason? No, but I think back in the day, I probably would have enjoyed that. I think you would have too, because you know, you you like tried to online date and connect with people in a different way. That's so. true. Yeah, at a time when I mean, now everyone does that, but at a time when it was less common, I I was on that. Uh, I think my dad was into CB radios, maybe before I was born or when I was a little kid, and I don't remember it. He used to often say. Like just, you know, things like 10-4, good buddy. Like when yeah. we're, you know, talking about stuff. So I bet he had a CB radio in the 70s. I got a, there was that great line, like 10-100. He's got to take a 10-100, which is big. And she, she says better than a 10-200. Yeah. Very clever. In, in that vulgar type way, Josh, that you, you sophisticates hate. Hey, Josh, what would your CB handle be? It would probably be one of the dumb things, you know, in the early days of the internet when right. you were on, you instant know, instant messenger, right? On instant messenger, I was always, you know, I've still still my my email address. If you want to send me a personal email, you know, which is a uh, little hope that's a reference to the film uh, "To Die For" by Gus Van Sant. Yeah. So that would probably be my CB handle, a reference to a Gus Van Sant movie. 
<laughs> Gus Van Zandt, who is very clear about um, locations and environments, would sure. probably be a fan. You know who was a fan of this movie? Alfred Hitchcock loved this movie. I can see that because he's all about sensation, Alfred yeah. Hitchcock. Yeah. What would my handle be, Josh? Um, yeah, Jay Harris comedy. No, <laughs> go for Jason. Go for Jason. Yeah, that's oh, what you would say. Go for Jason. I can yeah. see you saying that on a CB radio. Dave, music man or something like that. What was you know? I'd be like Jewish Dave, right? Or what yeah, was one yeah, of your so many rap names? Right. Jewish yeah. Dave's a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Buford T. Justice wouldn't like you. Yeah, yeah. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he would not like you. That's that's fair. Yeah. Um, what about Coors beer, Jason? Do you drink? Coors no, beer? not a huge fan, but yeah. I I like the idea of why they bootlegged it um and they were bootlegging it to like uh what was it the southern classic a big race at a raceway yeah um like i said um i do think it's important to state again like this cottage industry was these guys this whole southern kind of uh road picture or outlaw picture whatever you want to call it you know action comedies whatever they are um you know burt reynolds did so many of these like deliverance was his breakout but then he did like gator and white lightning and this was all stuff that he was doing you know from tennessee down to georgia maybe florida and he was able to make movies cheap and get tons of money back and hal needham was a huge part of it you know the the real legacy is like what the heck smoking the bandit has three sequels then four spinoff movies then you know and there's going to be a new series about it he's founded down the danny mcbride show is clearly named after it like this thing is still incredibly prevalent. Yeah. So Smokey and the Bandit 2 in 1980 did bring back all of the original uh, cast as well as Hal Needham. And of course, since it's Burt Reynolds, they added Dom DeLuise. That's good. <laughs> Very yeah. important. But this was, but that this is not Burt Reynolds' movie, Smokey and the Bandit 2, right? It's it's about Snowman. No, that right? Smokey and the Bandit 3 is about Snowman. Okay. I, I, again, I haven't seen these. Not None of us have seen these, but just from reading about Oh, is this them, Smokey and the Bandit 2 where he has to transport an elephant? Yes, they have to transport life? an elephant yeah. to the Republican convention because Big Enos is running for governor, I think, or something. I mean, I got to watch that it, just it, from the really description. Do. It, <laughs> sounds, it sounds incredibly bad and includes uh jackie gleason playing a uh sort of a buford t justice relative who is uh gay which i'm sure is handled with lots of sensitivity <laughs> gaylord justice <laughs> come on we have to watch this movie man yeah gaylord justice so uh smoking the they don't even try no, exactly 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 so uh smoking in the bandit three uh, so the second one was was a big hit, which makes sense. You know, you're following up a very popular movie. Yeah. Everyone comes out to see it. Uh, by the third one, Burt Reynolds, Sally Field, they uh, decided not Needham to participate. Right? Needham too. He was not the director. And that is why the 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 joke from uh, Bill and Ted comes up. Smokey is the bandit because in Smokey and the Bandit 3, Buford T. Justice is hired by the Enuses to do some sort of ridiculous race and decides that he's going to do that for some, uh, uh, I don't know what reason. And he is pursued by the snowman played by Jerry Reed, who for some, again, I haven't seen this in just reading the insane summary of this movie. For some reason, <laughs> Buford T. Justice thinks that the snowman is the bandit. Yeah. And uh, so Reynolds has a, a brief cameo in like a, like a dream or fantasy where Buford T. Justice is imagining the bandit. Um, but, and this is maybe apocryphal, but allegedly they, so Smokey is the bandit in the sense that he's now hired to right. do a, a race. 
But allegedly, originally, they had Gleason also playing like the bandit or his imagined version of the bandit. And they shot this version with Gleason in both parts and showed it to test audiences who were completely confused by it. And so then they reshot it and replaced the other Gleason with the snowman. Well, I mean, what you just, I wish I could see that footage. I think there's some of it out there somewhere, but it's also not clear if that was really what they were going for. Yeah, it sounds like it would be confusing, just yes. the way you explained it. Yes. It's not as clear as K-Lord <laughs> Justice. I mean, you know, that's that's pretty clear. Yeah, just, okay. So. Very, very, very clear. Um, so that movie was a giant failure in 1983. It sounds like it would have been. Yeah, I mean, financially as well as creatively. Um, but then in 1994, the bandit was revived for a series of four TV movies starring Brian Bloom, uh, who I don't really know anything about as he played the bandit. There was no Smokey, just the bandit, uh, four of these TV movies, all directed by Hal Needham. So I think he directed all of them. He directed all four of them. And I think at that point in his career, he was just probably desperate for work. And so he decided, sure, I'll do that. I think, uh, bandit goes country. He had to like get Mel Tillis to a location, like get him to the Greek. There was Bandit Bandit, which not the best There's title. a, a bandit impersonator, I think, in that one. That makes, yeah, right. He gets the bandit in trouble by, yeah, it's like Boondock Saints 2 or something like that. Uh, All Saints Day. Beauty and the Bandit. That, that's, a, that's a natural name, right? Yeah. And then Bandit Silver Angel. And the beauty in Beauty and the Bandit was uh, Kathy Ireland, kind of a step down from Sally Field. Ah, Kathy Ireland from Necessary Roughness. Awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I have not, I have not seen uh, any any of those uh, fine films. But j- again, just kind of reading uh, some of the commentary on Letterboxd, at least in some of them, people complain that um, there is no car racing. Which really seems to undercut the entire yeah. purpose of the whole band. I would complain too. Yeah. Like, give me that. You yeah. know, I like what uh, Southerners say. Billy Bob Thornton and uh, I think it was Tony Stewart, the race car driver. They say, you know, in the South, Smokey and the Bandit is less cinema and more documentary. <laughs> and but I mean, it's it's a funny line, but I think that's what's important. Is like one of those race car drivers in the Bandit documentary about Hal Needham was like, when you watch Smokey and the Bandit, and you're from where we're from, you recognize that guy's like my dad, that guy's like my uncle. I know a neighbor like that. Right. So it's, they did an awesome job of making it relatable to, uh, or real to that area. Yeah. I mean, I think we, again, not being from there or, or having spent any time there really are maybe not able to relate to it in that way. Um, you know, we talked about how big a star Burt Reynolds was in the seventies and, and coming off of this in the early eighties. Um, movies like Semi Tough, The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, and a lot of the stuff that he did with Hal Needham, yeah. um, Smoking the Bandit 2, but also the Cannonball Run movies. Um, and uh, they did a bunch of like car racing things together, those uh, Hooper and Stroker Ace, not all of them big hits. Hooper was a hit, I think. Yeah, Stroker, Stroker Ace, Ace, I think, was not. Yeah, and Hooper, he's basically playing Hal Needham, isn't he? Like playing an aging stuntman in that one. I, yeah, I haven't seen. Have you seen any of these other? Of their uh, I've seen Cannonball Run, which okay. I would love to watch with you. Oh, is it <laughs> is it something that I would hate? Um, I don't like it that much, but people okay. do love it. They made a sequel. You know, yeah, so, absolutely. And with that your is, boy, you know, Dom, Dom DeLuise, DeLuise, right? Yeah, yes, so. and that is a weirdly influential movie because that's one of these like right? Isn't there like a bunch of different characters? Yeah. It's like it's a mad, 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 mad world. Or right. Or race the, great, or the Great Race, which is another terrible, terrible movie. Yeah. So, Josh, you want to hear some like 
other crazy things that have come from this movie. Sure. Um, there was a Hot Wheels car, right? And they they were going to call it the Summa Bitch, but they couldn't. Yeah. So they changed to Scumbum. And then Scumbum became prevalent as slang because of that. Wow. For some, so it was slang for slang because Summa right. Bitch. Right. right. Um, so that was kind of fun. There's a bandit run now where um, kind of they started it. Uh, and they do the route that, that the bandit and the snowman took. Uh, let's see if I had anything else there. Josh. I mean, obviously the Dukes of Hazard, we got to mention. Yeah, right? partially inspired by this. And then, of course, that kind of came full circle when Burt Reynolds played Boss Hogg in the, you know, really uh, classic Dukes of Hazard movie starring Johnny Knoxville and Jessica Sean... Simpson. Yeah. And Sean William Scott. Maybe? Yeah, I didn't see that one. I sadly did see it. That's good for you, Josh. That's really good not. For all of it's us really not at all. That. When Burt Reynolds read it, he said it was the worst script he's ever read, but he did it because it was Hal Needham. And like, there's something endearing about doing like, hey, you're my friend. I'm going to stick with you. And like, you know, if this dies, it's my name on the line, too. But we're going to do this together. Yeah. Know? And, and you know, and Burt Reynolds had a very up and down career uh, in the decades following this. But, you know, every so often he would have a big comeback. I mean, whether that was like Evening Shade, the sitcom, which was an Emmy. Yeah, but it was a solid. I think that was probably the first time I saw Burt Reynolds because it was around when we were kids that it was airing. You know, had a more serious comeback when he was in Boogie Nights. Yeah. But, you know, we talked about his ego and, uh, you know, as much as I think, wasn't he, he was nominated for an Oscar for that film, but he hated Paul Thomas Anderson yeah. and he hated working on that movie. Yeah. yeah. They offered him a role in Magnolia and he didn't want to do it because of Paul Thomas. Right. And so, you know, he remains his Burt Reynolds self all the way through and uh, was, was a, uh, slated to appear in Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, but died before he was right. able to shoot. Bruce Dern took that part. Yeah. But that I'm glad you brought up Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because it's a relationship between an actor and a stunt double, right? Sure. So sure. that yeah, that's clearly influential on this. Yeah. Um, Eastbound and Down, great show. Uh, I loved it. Danny McBride. And that crew, the Danny McBride crew, is making the Smokey and the Bandit TV show now. And really the only people I would trust to do it. Yeah, I mean, I don't care for Eastbound and Down or really almost anything that those guys have done, but they are definitely the right people for this. Josh, the boys are thirsty in Atlanta and there's beer in Texarkana. One yeah. of the great lines of a that, song. That ever. is, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a good song. That song's really good. And if you ever look up a live version, he goes, he even plays it faster. It's like really, really fun, you know, outlaw country there. Yeah, and, and Jerry Reed was, I mean, he was an actor, but mainly he was a country singer and a very successful one. Yeah. Inducted like, into the Country Music Hall of Fame, all yeah. of that. Sally, Sally Field, obviously one of the premier actresses of the last 40 years. She has two Oscars. She's got an Emmy. Um, she still works all the time. And I think, you know, when we talk about someone who's still going to pull out another few great performances, she's right there. Yeah. And one thing I appreciate about Sally Field is that even at this point in her career, she takes risks. She does yes. independent films. She does weird TV stuff. She was on that that Carrie Fukunaga series, Maniac, which is very strange, or that uh, the Jason Siegel show Dispatches from Elsewhere, which was not very good, but, you know, bad in a way because it was trying a whole bunch of strange things that didn't really work. But, you know, she's right there along with it going, uh, fully immersing herself in the weird stuff that they're doing. So I really, I, I think she's brilliant. I think she's great too. Jackie Gleason, we mentioned, uh, all-time legend, The Honeymooners, The Jackie Gleason Show. Um, he was shooting stuff in with technology that he was putting in the vault for years. And the honeymooners when it first came out was like a minor hit, 
But then 10 years later, they started syndicating it and it became huge. And he was basically on TV with the, an iteration of the Jackie Gleason show from 1952 to 1970. And even after this, there were multiple honeymooners, like reunion specials yeah. and holiday specials that he did all the way pretty much up until he died in 1986. And, and I want to say one thing about that, Josh. He did this all not from Hollywood, right? He was in New York and then he moved to Miami or wherever. And he was just like the, you know, the unofficial mayor of Miami. So he was not, never really in LA. I mean, maybe he was for some stuff, but we mentioned the hustler. Josh, how about his musical career? Do you know about this? He had this thing where he couldn't read music, but he'd always have melodies in his head. So he would dictate a melody to his assistant who would write it down in musical notes. And then they would record it and he would get a writing credit. Um, he had, okay, 10 albums each that went platinum. And he had a Billboard Top 10 album for 153 straight weeks. And did he sing these songs? I don't think they were ever, I don't think they were songs to be sung. They were just, you They're know, just instrumentals. instrumentals. Wow. Yeah, Music for Lovers, uh, the only Billboard Top 10 album for 153 straight weeks, it said. Yeah. Pretty, pretty eclectic career. Yeah, no, I mean, as much as I find him annoying in this movie, he certainly had a remarkable, remarkable career. Uh, I did want to mention a couple other Hal Needham movies in addition to the Burt Reynolds racing stuff that he did. Rad. Um, he directed Rad, the BMX film, which is a huge cult thing and yeah. just got like a major restoration and re-release within the last year. So three huge cult movies, at least from this guy. And another movie that he directed, Megaforce, I think is a cult movie for being very bad, is one of the most notorious flops of all time, nominated for multiple Razzies. So, I mean... Uh, maybe that doesn't sound positive, but certainly he he had all of these cult things in his career that he made these eclectic, weird movies. The bigger picture is, like I said, in ba The Bandit, they say, you know, he was basically like a farmhand where he grew up, I think, in Arkansas. He made it out to Hollywood. He had no training as a stuntman, but he had been in like the 82nd Airborne. So he became not only a stuntman, but like what people say were the was the best stuntman there is. He kind of ran like his own, Jackie Chan style stunt teen. I think they were called Stunts Unlimited. And, you know, how many stuntmen do you know who have transitioned into becoming major directors? Yeah. I mean, well, we recently did an episode on The Matrix. We mentioned Chad Stahelski. I mean, that's or Nash Edgerton. I mean, those are recent examples. But I mean, between Hal Needham and those guys, there probably are very, very few. Yeah. Uh, Burt Reynolds, also a very good athlete, played college football at Florida State. All right. Uh, and that kind of probably went into, you know, like the longest yard, right. And, right. and, and semi-tough, yeah. um, stuff that he did with, uh, with sports movies in his career. And then, uh, later on as well, uh, and Hal Needham and Burt Reynolds did reunite. They reunited for the final movie that Hal Needham directed a 1999 TV movie called hard time hostage hotel, which was part of this like TV movie franchise that Burt Reynolds originated. So there he is again, getting his friend some work at the end of his career to direct his final film. I really love that they were such good friends. Um, you know, Needham, I think, died in 2013 and Burt Reynolds was 2016 or so. Right? Yeah, 18, 18 I think was when Burt Reynolds Burt Reynolds was, you know, in Florida, kind of the way Jackie Gleason was in Florida. You know, he had his home. He had an acting school. He had a dinner theater. Like, he really was a big fixture there. He made, he made something important of where he lived which is great you know hey josh one cool thing for me uh my old acting teacher joseph bernard was in two movies with burt reynolds 
he was in The Man Who Loved Women by Blake Edwards, and he was in, when Mary Lou Henner, and he was in Heat, a movie about a casino boss from the mid '80s, not the Michael Mann version, right? So, but, right, but still cool. <laughs> yeah, you know? no, totally, totally. And uh, he survived because he did not upstage Burt Reynolds. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So that is Smokey and the Bandit, and that is this episode of Awesome Movie Year. Uh, reach out to us on your CB radios. Soma bitch. <laughs> Number one, <laughs> or uh, probably more likely on social media. Yeah, we're at awesomemovieyear.com, awesome movie year on Facebook and Instagram, awesome movie pod on Twitter. I'm Jason Harris Comedy or J Harris Comedy on all those socials. And uh, my website was bootlegged back to 1977. So if you find it, just tell me where it is. <laughs> Uh, my website, not much better, joshbellhateseverything.com. Also, Josh Bell hates everything on Facebook and at Signal Bleed on Twitter. And listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. Check out Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on social media at PiecingPod. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. So, Jason, what year are we traveling to in our next episode? Well, Josh, it, we're going to a first feature. And Burt Reynolds might not like Paul Thomas Anderson, <laughs> but I believe we all do. And we're going to do his first feature from 1996, which is a film called Hard Eight. So tune in next time for Hard Eight. And thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. An All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.